0: Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome to the Pathway Church Podcast. We are so glad you're with us. We're a Bible-based church from Ontario, Canada, and together we're on a mission to reach people far from Christ and see them become devoted followers of Him. Have you ever wondered what the baptism of the Holy Spirit is all about? How about speaking in other tongues? Well, this week we'll be in Acts chapter 2, where the promised Holy Spirit descends upon all those in the upper room, and they start to speak in other tongues. Well, in this message, we'll consider some of the possible interpretations for this text, and we'll be challenged to lean into the work of the Spirit in our own lives. With that, let's turn it over to Pastor Nate with part three of the Acts series, Speaking in Tongues. Hey, everybody. uh, Welcome. My name is Nathan. I serve as the lead pastor here at Pathway Church, and we are currently in a study of the book of Acts, and we're actually today in chapter two. Uh, in the first half of of chapter two. Uh, You may be wondering why I'm coming to you by video. Uh, My family and I are away on uh, a holiday. We're out of country this week. And uh, because we're in this series, I really, really wanted to communicate this message uh, with you. And so I decided to film it in advance of my trip so that I could share it with you. Uh, Normally, I would have someone else uh, speak, but I, I felt like the subject today, the subject matter, Uh, being we're going to be talking about the baptism of the Holy Spirit and we're going to be talking about speaking in tongues and we're going to be uh, discussing this a little bit. I I really wanted to be able to share myself with you uh, some of my thoughts and I think it's really important for you to note that as we approach this subject I in no way uh, believe that I've got it all figured out or that everything I'm going to say is uh, 100% what you should believe but I really did want to share with you a frame to help you understand maybe a little better, and perhaps today you'll get a a different perspective than you've had before. Uh, One of the things I love about our church family, and uh, here at Pathway Church, we have so many people from different backgrounds, faith backgrounds. Uh, We have about a quarter of our congregation didn't attend church anywhere before they came to Pathway But then of the rest uh, that that are part of our church, we have all these different from from Catholic, Anglican, Presbyterian, uh, Pentecostal and just all the different denominations and streams of Christianity. And and as some of you will already know, when you begin to talk about the Holy Spirit, specifically about things like speaking in tongues and and the gifts, the power gifts of the Holy Spirit, uh, there can be a very, very wide and diverse range of beliefs. And so, again, I'm not here today to convince anyone, but I want to share with you some thoughts that that might that might cause you to to look at this subject uh, with a with an open mind. And and I believe that there is a, a frame, and if we stay within that frame, there can be a lot of different beliefs about this, about how we interpret the scriptures as it pertains to this subject. But I'm excited to to share it with you and to and to dive into it now. Uh, just for a full disclosure. When I was a little kid, I was raised in a home uh, that I would call charismatic. My, my parents came to faith, and it wasn't uncommon for me um, to hear my parents praying or speaking in tongues. It wasn't uncommon to see someone prophesy or to see an exorcism, you know, some of these things that, that, that some folks might think are really, really strange. These were relatively commonplace. And I only say that because for me, it, it didn't seem weird because I, I grew up around it. And it's amazing how your frame for something can, can be shaped. Uh, by your past history and experiences about 10 years ago I was in Haiti and uh Tony Tony Jones who's a missionary to Haiti he's like come with me Nate and we hopped on his on his bike or his quad whatever it was and we went down to this area of town and he just disappeared ran into the woods and I'm sitting there and all these Haitian men start surrounding me and they're talking to me in creole and I didn't know what they were saying I was very intimidated because I didn't know where I was and they all had machetes and I'm telling you, like, if, if you were walking downtown Peterborough and a whole bunch of people came out of the out of the, the buildings and they all had machetes, I mean, you'd be, you, actually, you might speak in tongues. It'd be pretty scary. And, and so I, I was there. And again, like for Tony, when he came back, I was like, Tony, I'm scared. He's like, oh, no, they're, they're good. Everyone has machetes. No big deal. And so depending on your background, for some of you, this conversation might be an exciting one. You're like, oh, this is great. I'm so glad we're talking about this. Others of you uh, might be quite nervous just at the thought of talking about the Holy Spirit and speaking in tongues and where is this all going to go. And I just want to assure you that there's, there's room for everyone and there's room for conversation. And we definitely know that, that people are very diverse. Our church is diverse. And because of that, we have some folks in our church who probably believe that the Holy Spirit doesn't do these things anymore. It's not really something we need to pay attention to. There are other people in our church who speak in tongues and pray in tongues every day, and they would just think it's the best thing, and they want everyone, everyone in their small group, to speak in tongues. And so we got all this diversity, and that's okay. We're going to talk about it today. I'm hoping to create a frame around this conversation on the Holy Spirit that will hopefully uh, bring us all together in a way that honors Jesus. So that's, that's my goal today. So with that, let's, let's dive into the text, and we're going to look first at uh, Acts chapter 2. And as we begin in verse 1, let me give you the backdrop. The beginning of Acts, Jesus is on the Mount Olivet, and he's about to ascend into heaven. And he says to his disciples, I'm sending you out on a mission to reach all of Israel, Samaria, and then to the ends of the earth. I'm going to send you out as my witnesses. But before you go, I'm going to equip and empower you with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is going to come, and he's going to live inside of each of you to empower you to do this work and this mission that I've called you to do. And so with that, he tells the disciples to wait in Jerusalem. So they head to Jerusalem. They're in an upper room and they're gathered in that place. And while they're there, they, uh, Peter steps up. We learned about this last week and he's like, we're short a disciple. Judas killed himself and they appoint another disciple. And then, uh, that's where we pick it up here in chapter two, verse one. It says, when the day of Pentecost arrived, now, the day of Pentecost was a Jewish festival or feast that happened every year. And the day of Pentecost was celebrated. People, Jews from all over the region, all over the Roman Empire, would come to celebrate this festival 50 days after Passover. And so this gives us some indication, because we know that Jesus spent 40 days with his disciples, that they were waiting here in Jerusalem in the upper room for 7 to 10 days. That's a, that's a long time to wait. And it says, when the day of Pentecost arrived... Interesting to note, it is said that God gave the law to Moses on the day of Pentecost. And so now we have the Holy Spirit being given the church age beginning on this very same festival, the day of Pentecost. And it says that as they were all together in the King James Version, it says they were all uh, with one or in one accord. But it says that they were all together. They were in unity which is already a miracle in itself. So you got these, these people all together. We might assume when we read this, we might assume that uh, it's just the 12 disciples, you know, waiting for the Holy Spirit. But in fact, we learned last week that there's 120, including many women, Mary, the mother of Jesus, Jesus's brothers, who kind of don't turn up until after his resurrection. And they're all there. And it says, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. So it doesn't say a mighty rushing wind, it says they sound like a mighty rushing wind. Um, This past uh, spring, summer, that we had this windstorm blow through the area. I know that many of you experienced uh, that. It was pretty crazy. And I remember I was outside and this vase blew over and I was picking up the glass pieces and the wind, you could hear it just coming. Lawn furniture's blown over my head. My wife, Jess, she's just screaming, "'Nathan, get in the house!' And I remember the sound of that wind, and perhaps they heard something like that. And you might think to yourself, uh, what's with the wind sound? Like, why would wind be significant? And I think the answer to that is that they were waiting for the Holy Spirit. And the word spirit in in the Greek language is is the word pneuma, and it, it means wind or breath. Uh, Not to mention that the spirit of God in the Old Testament is is represented by wind, that that God breathed spirit. He breathed life into the first man, Adam, and he became a living soul. So this idea of spirit, breath, wind is all connected with the Holy Spirit. And so the disciples would have clued in, man, the sound of wind, because again, they were waiting for the Holy Spirit. And they must have wondered day by day, like, did it happen? Did he come? And all of a sudden they hear this wind and that would have been their first clue that this is what Jesus had promised. And it says it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And then verse three says, and divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. Now again, note, it says as of fire. Uh, Their hair wasn't on fire. It was, they could see flames of fire being divided and spreading out upon their uh, persons. It doesn't even say their head, but above them there's these this image of fire and again you might think well what what's the deal with what's the deal with fire and when we go back to the old testament we see that this the spirit of god the presence of god is represented by fire when god speaks to moses from the burning bush and calls him right he sees this bush burning but it doesn't it's not consumed is because it wasn't a real fire it was it was the presence of god being represented by fire and god says take off your sandals for the ground you're standing is is holy ground And then when God leads the nation of Israel out through the wilderness, it's a cloud by day and it's a fire by night. In the temple, in the tabernacle, the presence of God, they would have lamps lit and burning, representing the the presence of God. And so the disciples, they're Jewish. They understand the wind and the fire represents this. Uh, Elijah, when he's in the cave, God shows up in the wind and he shows up in the fire and then a still small voice. So all of this stuff would be, connecting for them. I think, I think the point of this is simply that these two signs, the, the wind and, and, and the sight of fire, these two things would have let the disciples know unequivocally the Holy Spirit with the thing that we've been waiting for, the Holy Spirit coming to live with us that Jesus promised. It definitely happened because there are times in our lives when we, we have these incredible circumstances. And a few days later, we're like, did that really happen? And, and it really, really is helpful to know. And the disciples would have been absolutely assured. And then verse 4 says, And they were all filled filled with the Holy Spirit. Now this is this is what we often refer to as the, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And the word baptize is a Greek word that means to immerse in, to submerge. And it's this idea of them being just saturated and filled, uh, to overflowing with the presence and power of the Spirit of God, and it says that they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. This is really interesting, because uh, we might initially assume that it was just the 12 disciples who received this power, right? Because they're the ones we're going to see in the book of Acts, preaching and teaching, but but actually it says all of them, all 120 women, men, apostles, disciples, and those who are just followers of Jesus, everyone there, received the same gift of the Holy Spirit. They were filled with the Holy Spirit, his presence and power. Now, it's also really important to note that, that I don't believe for one second that the Holy Spirit is a force, that he's electricity, that he's just something sent out by God. But we actually believe that the Holy Spirit is God, that God exists, Father, Son, Spirit, three persons in one. And so we see the Holy Spirit, the presence and person of God coming to live inside of, these, uh, inside of these disciples. It's powerful, powerful stuff. In John 14, uh, verse 16 to 17, uh, Jesus said to the disciples this, he said, and I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper. I'm going to go away, but I send someone who can help you and he'll be with you forever, even the spirit of truth. It's another name for the Holy Spirit whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him or knows him but you know him for he dwells with you. So Jesus, like the disciple, he says, the Holy spirit is already dwelling with you guys, but there's a day coming soon when he will be in you. We talked about this a couple weeks ago that the Holy spirit in the old Testament came upon people. But now with the church age, the Holy spirit would come to live in people permanently. We would become the home of, of uh, the Holy spirit. So, there's a couple couple things to think about on the baptism of the Holy Spirit. There are sort of three uh, potential arguments that, that I've heard made and different churches would adhere to. The first is this, that all of the baptism of the Holy Spirit and speaking in tongues, prophecy, all these things, they no longer exist. That was for the first century and the early church. And perhaps that's your view. And if that's the case, then there's a whole bunch of verses we don't need in the Bible and we could just kind of move on. So that's, that's one view. The second view... Uh, would be this. The the second view would be that um, when a person trusts in Jesus, the Holy Spirit comes to live inside of them. But there is another secondary experience called the baptism of the Holy Spirit uh, in which we must wait and then we receive power. And it's sort of a two-step approach uh, to the Holy Spirit. And so uh, this would be very common within the Pentecostal denomination and others. But there's a third approach and it would be simply this. And this would kind of be where I would lean, uh, that every person who receives Christ receives his Holy Spirit with all of his power, all of his gifts and all of his abilities. And that we can have continued and multiple experiences of the Holy Spirit empowering us and working through us. And uh, this is this is interesting because in the book of Acts alone, we see the disciples filled with the spirit on the day of Pentecost. A few chapters later, they're filled with the Spirit, and Peter preaches, and then they're filled with the Spirit, and they're filled with boldness, and so on and on, so the same wording is used over and over again, and so this is a really, really fascinating and interesting topic, and so I think there's room for lots of different views, uh, but my perspective would be uh, mostly on the third. Of course, each of these views that we have will impact the way we view the Holy Spirit. If you do not believe that the Holy Spirit does any of that today, then you won't be asking for the holy spirit to do any of those things in your life. There's a whole bunch of verses you'll just skip over because they don't apply to you. If you believe that it's a secondary experience and you didn't have it, then you're going to you're going to you're going to be waiting around perhaps or maybe if you've had an experience with the holy spirit, you're going to you're going to feel like, "Oh, I have this thing that everyone else doesn't have." So that's that's a possibility which is why I love the third option, because we know that we have received the Holy Spirit because it's him who works in us. And then we can, we can seek for more and we can ask the Holy Spirit to move and to do things in and through us because that's exactly what he came to do. So with all of that, um, let's move on uh, to the rest of verse four. It says they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues. Another translation could say in other languages, as the Spirit gave them utterance. So somehow the coming of the Spirit actually enabled them to speak in some other tongue or language. Um, The question of what exactly is that is the question that we're going to spend a bit of time uh, trying to figure out. There are really two options in my estimation. The first option is that the disciples uh, received a supernatural gift of a language, of a language. And uh, if you read the, the rest of the text, which we're going to dive into in just a moment, you might initially assume that that's exactly what happened, that, that Peter and James and John and all the folks there, that they are there, and all of a sudden they receive a language. Could you imagine coming to church and everyone's praying and singing, and all of a sudden the Holy Spirit comes on you in s- such a way that you know he's there, and all of a sudden you can speak Italiano, hey, and all of a sudden you can speak Italian. Wouldn't that be amazing? No Duolingo. No classes, no tests, none of that, right? No verb conjugation, like you just know how to do it and you can speak another language. And, and some people read this text and believe that all the disciples and those present received all these languages and that would therefore equip them all to go to the various parts of the world as missionaries. Well, that's a really cool theory, but the more I look at it, the less I think that that's actually what happened and the less I think that that's actually what tongues is all about. So you have the option of it being a uh, supernaturally given human language. The other option is that it is some form of heavenly or heart or spirit language that is not understood by other people. Uh, those are your two options. It's either an earthly language that comes as a gift or something else. And so we're going we're gonna to look at that together. But let's, let's keep reading the text and just see what it says. It says, verse 5, Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, so you got 120 people going off in other languages or sounds, whatever they were doing. And it says the multitude came together. Now we know uh, from a little later on that this multitude, this crowd is over 3000 people because 3000 people uh, begin following Jesus and get baptized. So we know it's this massive crowd. And this massive crowd is listening to this large group of people, all going off in different languages. And it says they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? So Galileans was kind of like a fishing region. It was not highly educated. Uh, What are all these Galilean fishermen doing speaking all of these exotic languages from around the world. That This is what people are wondering. And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? Now, one of the questions I, I pose to you, and again, I'm not suggesting for a second that I've got this all figured out, but it almost seems to me, the closer I look at this text, that while there was a miracle happening of the disciples and all present speaking in tongues, whatever we're going to keep talking about what that is, But at the same time, you have thousands of people all hearing this group in their own language. It almost sounds like there's a miracle happening at their ears. Um, Just to give you a little more clarity on this, it says in verse 8, and and how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? And We get a list of some of the the regions of the world. Parthians and Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia. Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt and parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. We hear them telling in their own tongues the mighty works of God. So the spirit has got them saying stuff and it's glorifying God. That's always what the Holy Spirit does, by the way. Anything that doesn't glorify Jesus and glorify God, it's not the Holy Spirit. It's something else. But they are glorifying and they're all hearing it. Imagine... 3,000 people listening to 120 in an upper room. Like, how could you make out anything? And yet it seems as though they're outside. Let's say someone's uh, Arabian, and they're there, and they're hearing in their Arabic tongue these people worshiping God, and they turn to the person beside them who's Italian, or or or, or they speak Latin, and they're, and they're saying, can you believe it? They're all speaking in Arabic, and the person beside goes, what are you talking about? They're talking in Italian. The guy besides going, no, it's the French language, even though these language didn't exist at the time. You get the point. They're all like this. They're bewildered because they, they can't figure out what exactly is going on here. And I want us to look. There's sort of two responses to something like this when it happens. Um, verse 12 says, and all were amazed and perplexed. Everyone saw this was this was confusing and weird. And they were saying to one another, what does this mean? All right. Option number one is is curiosity. O- option number 1 is like what is this all about? I want to lean in and learn more. Option number 2 comes in verse 13, but others mockingly said they're filled with new wine. They're on cheap alcohol. They're they're drunk. And so you got two options. One, when you come to something like tongues, you come to something like the the Holy Spirit, it seems a bit odd, weird, hard to understand. You can either write it off or you can lean in and go, what is this all about? I want to I want to learn more. And those are really the same two options that we have today. Verse 14 says this, but Peter standing with the 11 lifted up his voice and addressed them. It's interesting to me. Peter is always the guy standing up speaking first. And he says, men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words for these people are not drunk as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. That's nine in the morning. He's like, I know for some people that wouldn't matter. But for nine, nine in the morning, he's like, these people are not drunk. That's not what this is. But he says, this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. These are religious people gathered for the Feast of Pentecost. Peter says, this is the fulfillment of what God by the Holy Spirit spoke through the prophet Joel. He says in verse 17, in the last days it shall be, God declares, I will pour out my spirit. Peter's like, what's happening right here? The spirit being poured out on us. This is what God promised. And he said, I'll pour it out on all flesh, not just some, not just kings, priests, prophets, not special people for special times, but on all flesh on your sons and your daughters. They will prophesy. Men and women, your young men shall see visions and your old men shall dream dreams, young and old alike his spirit will move on them. Even on my male servants and female servants, even those who are the lowest in society, the Holy Spirit is coming and will work in and through them. In those days, I'll pour out my spirit and they will prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs in the earth below. Blood and fire, vapor of smoke, and the sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood. By the way, these are, these are things that Jesus pointed to as signs of his second coming. And so... This is all part of God's plan that his spirit would descend, the church age would form, and then Jesus would return before the day of the Lord comes. He says the great and magnificent day and it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Peter says what you're seeing today is what was prophesied in scripture. The spirit would come before the Messiah comes to rule and reign and the right response is to call upon the name of the Lord. He's going to continue to preach and tell them all about Jesus, and we'll learn about that next week. So uh, with the final few minutes that we have together, I want to spend a little bit of time uh, sharing with you some of my thoughts on this whole idea of speaking in tongues. As I as I outlined earlier, you really have two options in my estimation. Number one is that it is a heavenly language that's given by God for, we would suppose, the purpose of being a missionary, and taking uh, the gospel to a language that that you didn't know. Uh, the other option, as we said, is either like a, a a heavenly or prayer or spirit language that that is really unintelligible to humans and that it is some sort of spiritual way to communicate with God. Those are really the two options as I see them. As I mentioned earlier, in Acts chapter two, it seems to be the former. It seems to be these languages of the world that are given. Yet what's interesting is as you read the rest of the book of Acts and look through church history, you see almost no evidence of this taking place, that, that Peter was able to go to Arabia because he miraculously knew how to speak that language. You, you don't see anything like that. So that, that kind of makes me wonder. And then when you go to 1 Corinthians 12, 13, 14, as Paul describes and instructs how this gift of tongues is to be used within the church, Nothing in there sounds at all like human languages meant for the mission field. It seems to be the latter that it is a heavenly heart and spiritual language of prayer um, that he's actually uh, talking about there. And so, I want to turn to First Corinthians and just share a few thoughts. I I wish I had a few hours and walked through this all verse by verse, but let me let me share a few thoughts. And again. Uh, this is this is what I believe and what I think is the best way to interpret this. You may disagree, and I'm okay with that. Um, you don't have to send me an email telling me I'm wrong. Just just listen to what I have to say and see if, if any of it makes sense. In First Corinthians 12, Paul, he, he talks about how each receives a gift. And I think the focus of chapter 12 is really on the idea of unity, that there's one spirit. So the same spirit that lives in you lives in me. If we're following Jesus. Same same Holy Spirit. And yet, just like in the natural, we all have different gifts and abilities. When we come together as a church, each person has something from God to share with the community. And he says somebody might have a, a prophecy and somebody might have a word of encouragement and somebody might have a, a tongue and an interpretation. So he's listing these things, saying, when you gather as a church, everyone's going to bring something and have something from God uh, to share. The focus is on... This idea that the Holy Spirit wants us to be in unity and wants us to use what he gives us for the benefit of those around us. So it's really about unity. And then in verse in chapter 13, Paul talks about love. And you might wonder why. Why in the middle of these two chapters where he's talking about the power of the Spirit that, that comes by the Holy Spirit, he's focused on love. And here's why. Because he says in chapter 13 that, even if you prophesy, even if you have faith to move mountains, you know, even if you could raise the dead, he's like, none of that would matter if it's not motivated and fueled by love. You see, the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of God, and God is love. And so if the Holy Spirit is at work in your life, it should, first and foremost, produce love. It shouldn't be about you. It shouldn't be competitive. It shouldn't be like, wow, look how powerful I am. It's not any of that. And so with all that in mind, in chapter 14... Um, Paul talks specifically about prophecy and tongues now I don't have time to get into all of this but um, you know over the years as I said having grown up around uh, charismatic churches and then later in life I, I went and attended and was part of other churches that didn't believe in the power of the Holy Spirit and these gifts and so I really got to see both sides and I really began to understand that wow, the Holy Spirit is moving in all these places uh, but but people don't necessarily have the same frame and don't agree. And one of the things I notice is that people that don't understand or operate in the the power gifts of the Holy Spirit, they often misunderstand. They they read about things like prophecy and they imagine somebody convulsing and saying a whole bunch of stuff about the future, like a like a fortune teller at a séance. That's kind of how they they imagine what prophecy looks like. But when you actually look at it in the New Testament, you discover that like prophecy can be, hey, here's what's going to happen in the future. God has shown me something. It can be that, but it's also speaking the word of God and uh, quoting the scriptures and encouraging others. And so it's, it's basically speaking and encouraging uh, others in the Lord. And so in that way, I, I know many people who would say they're not filled with the Holy Spirit have sensed the Holy Spirit leading them to encourage somebody that can be prophecy. Right? Or you hear about the discernment of spirits, and it's like, discernment of spirits? It seems so strange, but we all know what discernment is like. You you see somebody doing something, you go, I don't think they're doing that for the right reason. That's called discernment. You, you're you noticing things that others don't notice. Well, there is a spiritual gift of discernment where the Holy Spirit can reveal to you something that's going on behind the scenes that allows you to help and allows you to minister. That's the work of the Holy Spirit, and, and so people who don't even believe in the gifts of the Holy Spirit are actually sometimes operating them and they don't know. And I think sometimes we, we mystify these things so much that we that we fail to recognize the work of the Spirit in our own lives. Here in chapter 14, Paul is going to talk about specifically prophecy and tongues. Prophecy, speaking and encouraging those within the church, he says, is the most beneficial because it's everyone can hear it and be encouraged by it. He says tongues, nobody understands it. And he says this in chapter 14, verse 2, for one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men, but to God. So whatever this tongue thing is, and I admit it's the weirdest of all of them, whatever this tongue thing is, he says, you're not speaking to other people. It's not for them. It's between you and God. And then he goes on to say this. He says, for no one understands him, the person speaking in a tongue, but he utters mysteries in the spirit. So that doesn't sound to me like a human language, like go get an interpreter and then we'll all understand it. No, he says you're speaking mysteries in the spirit. Uh, you, might, you might make the argument and you might say, uh, well, you know, speaking in tongues is only for a few rare people who have the gift. And yet in verse 5, just a few verses later, Paul says, I want you all to speak in tongues. Well, Why would he say that if it wasn't available to all? That would be weird. And he says in verse four, the one who speaks in a tongue builds himself up. So when we prophesy and speak, it encourages and builds up others. When we pray in tongues, whatever he's describing, it actually builds us up. And then he goes on to say uh, in verse 14, if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. So he's like, my spirit is praying to God, but, but my, I'm not, I don't even know what I'm saying. It's not helping me, but it is helping me because my spirit is praying. You go, why would anyone want to do this? Why would someone be babbling in this tongue that no one can understand, not even the person doing it? How is it beneficial? Well, Paul says it, it strengthens your spirit. It allows your heart to talk to God. And, and he goes on uh, to say that, um, that even your own mind doesn't understand. It. So you go, why, why would anyone do that? Well, let me ask you a question. Have you ever, have you ever tried to pray and you didn't know what to say? Have you, ever, have you ever cried out to God and you, you just didn't even have the words? You didn't even know what to pray for? This would be an incredible tool if you could allow your spirit to just bypass your mind and pray to God. This seems to be exactly what he's talking about. Over the years, I've talked to people and they said, you know, I've been, I've been trying to speak in tongues and they, they're, just, they're like waiting for God to like take over their lips and make sounds come out of their mouth. Well, let me ask you a question. If the Holy Spirit's leading you to help or serve somebody, does He take a hold of your hand and make you do it? No. He puts an unction in you to go and do that thing, and then you have to act in faith and go do it. And it's the same thing with speaking in tongues. As far as I understand, the Spirit puts a word, a sound, and you speak it out by faith, and it makes no sense to you, but your Spirit bypasses your brain. Now, if this sounds too weird for you, that's totally cool. Uh, You don't have to do this. Paul says, uh, a few verses later, he says uh, in verse 18, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. Nevertheless, he says in church, when, when I'm with all these people, he's like, I'd rather speak five words with my mind in my common language that everyone can understand in order to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. So Paul's like tongues isn't going to be helpful for the gathered community, but he says it is helpful for me in my personal prayer life. Uh, maybe some of you have never heard anyone talk about these things in this way. My hope was just to give you a different frame and maybe a way that you could, could look at this differently. Um, we're out of time, so let me close uh, with uh, one uh, last thought. And it's simply this. When we go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 1, it says this. Pursue love. Pursue love. Paul says if there's only one thing, that you could go after. If there was one thing to chase after, he said, make sure you pursue love. Love is what we're after. I've said this to folks before. I would, I would rather have a church full of people who have the love of God, who are walking in the fruit of the spirit, which is love. I would, I would rather have that than a whole bunch of people who can prophesy and heal and do miracles. I want love because a lot of people have been in churches where people claim to be filled with the Holy Spirit where they speak in other tongues and prophesy and they can lay hands on the sick and they do all of this stuff and yet they're full of bitterness and anger and strife and divisiveness. And we think sometimes that if we can operate in these gifts or we have this power that we're mature, but that's not the case. It's love that we're after. But we don't want to just pursue love. He says this, and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts. In other words, the Holy Spirit lives inside of you and you can desire... His gifts and his power to be in, in operation, working in your life for the good of those around you and for the good of the kingdom. And so with that, uh, I, I hope that this has been challenging and it is uh, something that will, will help you. I want to I pray and uh, let me just remind you of one thing, regardless of where you stand on these things, we believe the Holy Spirit is a person. We believe that the Holy Spirit is at work in you if you are a follower of Jesus. The same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives inside of you, empowers you, leads you, guides you, enables you, will teach you all things. And if we and if we desire, the Holy Spirit can do much more in and through us than we can ever imagine. And so let's lean into that together as a church. Let's pursue love and not neglect these other things. And so let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, thank you for our church family. Thank you for the diversity that we have uh, in our midst. Thank you that there are so many people from different backgrounds. And we don't want to be a church that's divided over issues of theology. But Lord, what we want to do is we want to be moving forward on this mission to be witnesses for you, filled and empowered by your Holy Spirit. I pray, Lord, if there's anyone listening today who has never uh, trusted and called out on Jesus as their Lord, they would do so. Maybe there are some uh, who have been following you for a while and have never leaned into, never asked for the Holy Spirit. For you said, uh, what father whose son asked for a loaf of bread wouldn't give him a loaf of bread? And, and Lord, you will give us your Spirit when we ask for it. And so God, thank you for your promise. Thank you for your Spirit that lives inside of us. Help us to, to, to live in such a way that the Spirit of God is working in and through us in every way possible, in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, that's it from us. Thank you so much for joining. Please stay connected with us. Be sure to like and subscribe to our YouTube channel. That's Pathway Church PTBO. Hey, God is at work in this world, and we feel so blessed that we get to be part of what He is doing. Have a great day wherever you're at, and we hope to see you soon.